All right. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here at River City. Glad to get to join you guys for worship this morning. If you are new or visiting, I just want to say especially welcome. Glad that you would join us. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you get connected to the community here at River City, we'd love to be able to do that. Come find me or somebody else that's been up front. We'd love to, love to get to know you. Um, we're on the front end of a new series this fall, taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And, and in that passage, what we see is a, a description of the kind of a transformed life that, that increasingly characterizes the, the Christian as being evidenced by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And from the beginning, what we've tried to highlight is, that, is the reality is that the, the fruit of the Spirit isn't just a list of attributes we're supposed to be striving to attain. In fact, they're actually something that we cannot produce in and of ourselves. Instead, the fruit of the Spirit is something that, that is supernaturally produced in us as the transforming power of the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. You see, in other words, believing and responding to the truths of the gospel is the one thing that not only can, but inevitably does, inevitably will produce the Spirit's fruit in our lives. And so as we examine our hearts and our lives each week, as we take a look at the fruit of the Spirit together, the, the goal is not to get you to think, oh man, I'm really lacking in these certain areas of the Spirit. I'm not seeing the spiritual fruit in my life. I really need to buckle down. I really need to try harder. I really need to be more intentional about trying to produce that in myself. One, that doesn't work. Uh, but instead, the goal is that we would ask ourselves, what is it about the gospel? What is it about the person and the work of Jesus that has not yet taken deep root in my heart? What is it about who he is and all that he has done for me that I need to dwell on, that I need to marinate in, that I let it to sink deeply into my heart so that what happens is that those spiritual fruits get produced in me as a natural result. As we looked at the, the first two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, the last few weeks, we saw how it's only when we encounter and dwell on God's costly, selfless, sacrificial love towards us that we'll begin to love Him and to love others in a, in a way that's not based on perceived worthiness or reciprocal benefit or, or only when it's easy, but instead when it's hard and costly and, and when the love that, that we need is, is requires sacrifice. We saw how it's only when we see the gravity of our sin and how much we needed a Savior, yet at the same time we're reminded about the, how greatly Jesus has met our need and, and the eternal hope that his work on our behalf is secured for us, that we'll be able to have a kind of deep and durable joy that's not rooted in circumstances or the experience of blessings right now, but instead is rooted on a relationship and a hope in the blesser himself. See, but love and joy, they're not the only things that are produced in us when the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. In addition, this week, we'll see that peace is also this uh, characterizing trait of those who, have, who have allow the gospel to take deep root in our hearts. And so as we study what God's word teaches us about peace, we're going to use kind of the same roadmap that we have the last few weeks. We'll try to define it, pointing out what scripture has to say about uh, the, 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 the fruit of the spirit that is peace. We'll try to highlight some counterfeit versions that we mistake for the real thing and that keep us actually from experiencing the real thing. 
And lastly, we'll, we'll try to examine what is it about the gospel, what is it about the person and the work of Jesus that we need to keep coming back to, that we need to understand and believe and keep letting sink deeply into our hearts if we want this aspect of the, spiritual, of the Spirit's fruit to be produced in us. And so, what is peace? What isn't peace? And the gospel roots that produce the spiritual fruit of peace in us. So, that's our outline for this morning. Let's pray. We'll dive into God's Word together. Jesus, we are grateful for you. We are thankful that you uh, would give us your word this morning. And God, we just come humbly before you uh, this morning, just admitting we need a peace that only you can offer us. God, we live in a world that is uh, desperately looking for peace, yet is so clearly lacking it. And we often find ourselves in the same boat. And so we come this morning to you, God, and ask that you would be empowering us to have a peace that we cannot have other outside of you. And so, God, give us, uh, empower me by your spirit to speak and teach what is right and good and with authority, not because of something I can do, but because of your spirit doing it in me. God, enable us to hear and respond rightly to your word. God, we, we come dependent on you this morning for everything as we gather to study your word. And we also come uh, eagerly anticipating, knowing that you love to meet us in our need for you as we study. So, God, uh, for our good, for our peace, for your great glory. We pray that you'd meet us in your word this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to begin by, by asking the question about what, what is the kind of peace that the Bible is talking about when it lists the peace as the fruit of the Spirit. What is that? Well, uh, if you've been around River City long enough, you know that I don't usually go into the original languages, mostly because our translations are really good, and uh, it's very few and far between that, uh, that, that actually is helpful. It's actually necessary. But like I think it was with love, I think it's helpful here to know a little bit about the context of the original language and the words that are used here, because, because when we hear the word peace, we often think about something that uh, the original languages aren't really referring to, or, or, or it's just a, just a part of it. You see, the word that's translated peace here is the Greek word Irene. In the Old Testament, the same word is used in Hebrew. It's the word shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. And the kind of peace that these refer to is not, is not merely just an absence of fear or anxiety or worry. It's not merely an absence of turmoil. It's an all-encompassing kind of peace. It's, a, it's both internal and external. It is both personal and relational. It is both a physical and a spiritual kind of peace. You see, it's not just about the absence of something that these words connotate, but also the presence of everything that is needed for flourishing. They refer to the, to the state where everything is as it should be, as God designed it to be, as he created it to be, like it was when Adam and Eve walked in the garden in perfect relationship with each other and with God, enjoying and treasuring and loving each other in him and how it will be one day again in heaven. And that kind of a peace, that kind of an all-encompassing kind of peace, it can almost feel imaginary to us. We're often overjoyed when you just get a few minutes of peace and quiet, let alone a deep, abiding, personal, relational, spiritual kind of peace. And if we're honest, I think when we look at our own lives or our families or certainly our country and our world, more often what we see rather than not is that there is an utter lack of peace. Whether it's personal or relational or spiritual, what, and what peace we do experience is usually temporary or fleeting. 
Billions of dollars are spent every year in an effort to alleviate worry and anxiety and in order to uh, generate some quality of peace. And yet, when you look at the studies, what you find is increasingly it's not really working. We're not becoming a, a society that is less worried. We're not becoming a society that is less full of fear. It's not what's happening. But it's not just a deep and abiding internal peace we lack. It's, it's estimated that there have been over 8,000 peace treaties that have been signed with the intention of a, of a peace lasting forever. And when you look at history, what you find is that, is that the vast, vast majority of those treaties, they lasted little more than two years and they were over. You see, we don't, it's not just that we lack internal peace, it's that we lack relational peace. We, cannot, we don't have peace internally, and we do not have peace with one another. See, we live in a culture, not only a culture, but a world that is both desperately looking for and yet clearly still lacking peace. And when we look at what Scripture has to say about that, what we find is that the reason why we lack peace is because we are looking for it in all the wrong places. In John 14, Jesus is, is eating what would be his final meal with the disciples before his death. And, and during this meal, he really drops some bombshells, or, 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 or re-drops some, I should say. And he tells them in no uncertain terms that he's, not only is he about to die and he's about to leave them, that, that he's going to be betrayed by one of them, and that he's going to be denied by another one of them. And you can imagine what's going through the disciples' mind in the midst of that dinner. Right? You can imagine what they must have been feeling, shocked, confused, self-conscious, worried, anxious, fearful, everything in between. You can imagine what they would have been thinking and experiencing. And yet it's in the midst of their utter lack of peace that Jesus offers them this, this short but incredibly profound treatise about, about peace, about where it's found, about where it's not found, and about what it looks like when you have it. In John 14, 27, he says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. And don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Now, there's so much here that we could, talk, that we could learn about. There's just a few things I want to highlight this morning. The first is simply this. Notice how Jesus begins. He says, peace I leave with you. He goes on, my peace I give to you. You see, Jesus isn't just the way to peace. He himself is the source of peace itself. Ephesians 2 echoes this reality when it says that he himself is our peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 5 calls Jesus the prince of peace. You see, real peace is inseparable from the author of peace. It always is. And one of the most fundamental reasons why we lack inner peace is because we are looking for someone or something other than Jesus, the prince of peace, to give it to us. Our source idols, they often reveal the thing we're looking to for our source of peace. We, we think we'll finally experience peace if, we, if our will or our influence is finally brought to bear on a situation or a person. We, we think if we finally could just get mastery or control of a certain situation or variable in our lives, then we'd finally get some peace. We, we think if we could just escape the stress or the discomfort of, of responsibilities that we have, then we could get some rest finally. We, we think if we could finally have the acceptance or love of a certain person or people group, then, then we'd finally get peace. And those things can never give it to us. If you're here this morning, the question I want to ask is, who or what are you looking to as the source of peace? 
as your source of peace. Maybe it's a relationship to work out or to, or to bring you security. Maybe it's somebody finally telling you that they're sorry and, and that a relationship can be healed. Maybe it's a new job or a new work situation that you'll think will finally get better or finally will provide you with enough money to do what you want to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, the source of peace you're looking to is children that will satisfy some longing in your soul or that will just turn out and be great and successful. Maybe the thing you're looking to for peace is political reform. It's good to want healthy relationships and working environments and good governments, but don't believe for a second those things will ever give you peace. They can never give you a real lasting kind of peace. You see, sometimes it's obvious that we're looking to something other than Jesus as the source of peace, but other times I think it's a little bit more subtle. And I think that was what was happening here for the disciples. You see, the internal chaos that the disciples are experiencing, it's a result of the fact that they have fundamentally seen Jesus merely as a path to peace rather than the source of peace himself. You see, their fear and anxiety and worry revealed that the, the source of peace they were really looking to was the kingdom they thought Jesus was bringing, not the king himself. We do that all the time, don't we? We look at Jesus merely as a means to peace. We think, if I just follow Jesus, then things will finally start working out in my life. If I just obey Jesus, this situation will get fixed, or this relationship will get fixed. If this person, if this other person would just start following Jesus, then everything would be, would be fixed. And while those things might often be true, our motives reveal that the reason we are trying to follow or obey Jesus is because we see him merely as a means to peace. He's just a means to some other end we have. He's not the goal. He's not the source of the thing we're looking for. You see, Jesus doesn't give us peace. He gives us himself. And he is our peace. The reality is, is that unless you look to him to be your source of peace, you will never experience real peace, either internally or relationally. You'll always be looking to someone or some situation or some outcome to give you peace. And it never will, or if it does, it will never last because it's just a counterfeit kind of peace. You see, but Jesus doesn't just tell us where peace comes from. He also tells us where it doesn't come from. He highlights some counterfeit kinds of peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He says, I don't give you peace as the world gives it to you. He says, I give you a different kind of peace. And the, the kind of peace the world offers is always a counterfeit. So the kind of peace that Jesus offers is fundamentally different than any counterfeit kind of peace the world can offer. It's altogether unique. Because it is based on something altogether different. You see, the counterfeit peace that the world offers is rooted in our ability to control our, our thoughts or our relationships or our circumstances. If we can just control the variables, if, if we can just wait out the problems, if we can just have enough strength, then we can kind of wrestle peace to the ground and make it ours. But the reality is, as David Paulson writes, he says, most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. We grasp after the wind, we rage and we fear, and finally we despair. See, inevitably what happens is we all come to the realization that the peace that we're looking for, we can't get it for ourselves. And when that happens... Sometimes we despair, but sometimes what happens is the world offers us another kind of counterfeit peace. And it's the kind of counterfeit peace that, that comes when you say, well, you know what, I guess I just can't do anything about it. I guess, I guess it's just out of my hands. Hakuna Matata, right? No problems. 
I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. And on the outside, it looks like peace. It can look like peace on the outside, but it's a counterfeit. It's not real peace. It's actually just apathy and determinism and cynicism that is masked as peace. It's, it's just the, all that stuff with some makeup on to make it look like peace. See, the way you can always tell counterfeit peace is if it lacks the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, if it exists by itself. You see, you see, remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. What happens is they come together if they're, they're real and authentic. You see, you might have something that looks like peace, but if you don't have love or joy, it's not real peace. If, if, you don't, if you lack kindness and gentleness, the peace you have is just a counterfeit. If, if your peace leads you down a road that lacks all self-control, you do not have real peace. You just have a counterfeit. And it will never last. You see, but Jesus, he says, the, the peace that he offers is altogether different than what the world offers because it is not dependent on situations or circumstances. It is not dependent on your ability to control the variables of your lives, nor is it just mere apathy or cynicism in disguise. Instead, the peace that Jesus offers us is rooted in the objective reality of God's sovereign authority and his steadfast love, two things that are proven to us in the person and the work of Jesus Colossians chapter 1, it, it heralds the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus. In verse 15, it says, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the, the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. And for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You see, Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the ruler of everyone and everything, everywhere, always. There is nothing that does not have, that he does not have authority over. Verse 18 tells us not even death has authority over him. And it's this sovereign king that verse 20 goes on to say that God was pleased, it says, to reconcile to himself all things through him whether things on heaven, things in earth, or things in heaven, he says this, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. You see, Christian peace is not based on, uh, on subjective circumstances. It is based on the objective reality that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Sovereign King of the universe, he died to pay every debt and fulfill every requirement that you and I have before God so that we might be completely forgiven and completely cleaned and made new and loved and adopted into God's family. 
And to top it all off, what you have to see is that God did that for you, not when you were his friend, not when you were, not when you were looking for him, but when you were his enemy. When you were opposed to him at the height of your arrogance and your independence and your rebellion against him, that's when he chose to give himself for you. You see, it's in the midst of our sin and our rebellion and the chaos it causes in our lives that the Prince of Peace comes offering to us a message of peace. Some of you are here this morning and you need me to remind you about this. Jesus did not die for some future better version of you. He died, he knew exactly what he was getting when he gave himself for you. In the midst of your mess and your fear and your insufficiency, in all of your failings, in all of your inadequacies, Jesus knew you as you are and he gave himself for you, not some future version of you. And so you can have a hope and a confidence knowing that the great king of the universe has loved you at your worst. You didn't earn it. You did not deserve it. And so you cannot mess it up. It never depended on you in the first place. You see, when that good news, when those gospel roots sink deeply into your soul, what happens is what gets produced is a supernatural kind of peace. In John 14, it's a, Jesus says that the kind of peace it, it produces is internal. It, Jesus says the peace he brings, it drives out anxiety and fear. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives it to you. He says, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You see, we all experience anxiety and fear sometimes, but the reality is that some of you are ruled by anxiety and fear. It, it drives your lives. It runs your life. When it comes to others and the world, you try to bear the weight of every problem around you, thinking that's the solution. It always depends on you. You look at the government or the economy or the world, and it just sends your mind spinning because you don't have control over all these huge variables. You think about your friends that don't know Jesus yet, and, and you become overwhelmed thinking that they won't ever believe and, and that it's just your fault in the middle of it. When it comes to yourself, you, you tend to overanalyze everything you say and do. You're constantly second-guessing yourself and, and fearing that you might be making the wrong decisions. You're hypersensitive to criticism and to the opinions of others. As an employee, you're, you're constantly fixated on your reputation and what others think about you. And you move through social settings with this deep kind of self-consciousness. And you end up replaying conversations over and over and over in your head. As, as parents, might, you might just be, have this constant fear that you're doing something wrong or, or that you'll end up ruining your kids or you're constantly drawing comparisons with other parents and other kids on social media, you pursue the kind of validation and acceptance that comes from likes and favorites and shares. John Mellinger in his book, Think Again, Relief from the Burden of, of Introspection, he sums it up this way. He says, our daily awareness of sin and weakness and ineffectiveness leaves us disheartened and self-accusations become relentless. We go to bed at night exhausted with false guilt and real guilt jumbled together with our hearts and minds flooded with the experiences of our day and with a general sense that we are failing at a lot of things. You see, maybe you're here this morning and that's you. And I want to remind you this morning of the peace that the Prince of Peace offers to you freely. 
See, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, if you have trusted him, then you can take a deep breath. And in the midst of all of that stuff you feel, you can say, I can be full of peace and hope today because Jesus loves me and he cares for me and he is sovereign over me and my situations. However heavy my burdens are, he is enough to carry them. However sinful I am, his grace is greater than my sin. However deeply I am stuck in myself, he can rescue me. However much I fear, he's already overcome it. John 16, Jesus tells the disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble. Take heart though, I've overcome the world. You see, the peace that Jesus gives does not come from the removal of difficult situations or circumstances. It does not need everything to be rosy and good, nor does it require some kind of blind, unquestioning faith. Rather, instead, it comes through a confident kind of hope that no matter the circumstances, Jesus is still the sovereign king of everything. He sits on the throne of the universe, and he is good. He loves you. He's working things out for your good and for his glory. See, sometimes, sometimes what happens is we look at our lives and it's kind of like we're looking at the inside of a sweater. When you look at the, underside, the backside of a tapestry or the inside of a sweater, what you see is it looks like a hot mess, right? There's threads going everywhere. It looks like a pile of crazy. You can't understand what's going on. But when you flip it over, what you see is there's this beautiful image that's come to fruition on the front. You see, our lives often don't make sense when we look at our situations or our circumstances. The back looks a lot different than the front. See, and what we can do is we can trust that Jesus can see the front and that he is weaving together in the midst of all that is going on a beautiful tapestry that is for our good and our joy and for his great glory. And so you can trust him in the mess in spite of your circumstances, in spite of how you feel about yourself, in spite of how you feel about him, in spite of all of that, you can trust that the Prince of Peace is sovereign and that he loves you. And when you rest in those truths, your heart will finally get to experience the kind of peace that Jesus longs for you to have. The kind of peace that David wrote about in Psalm 3 that enabled him to lie down and sleep even while he was surrounded by his enemies. It's the kind of peace that the Apostle Paul wrote about in Philippians 4 that transcended understanding, that enabled contentedness in, every and, in any and every situation, in good and bad, in all between. You see, but the, the peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings is not just merely internal. It's also external. It is relational. Ephesians 2 tells us that the vertical reconciliation that we have with God is the thing that enables the horizontal reconciliation we have with people. Ephesians 2 verse 13 reads this way, But now in Christ you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You see, it's the cross. It's the good news of the gospel that not only secures our peace with God, 
but it's the thing that destroys the dividing walls that keep us from having peace with one another. You see, when you see that the God of the universe made peace with you when you were his enemy, when he had the power to crush, instead he chose grace. And what happens is when you see that, it not only humbles you, but it fills you with a kind of graciousness towards others who you feel might not deserve it. And it enables us and it motivates a kind of pursuit of peace even with those who are most opposed to you. You see, that's the transforming power of the gospel. It produces an otherworldly kind of peace. And the question is, is how do you experience that kind of peace? And how do you keep experiencing it? Well, ultimately, real peace, it comes from receiving and believing the truths of the gospel. It comes by trusting in entirely the sovereign prince of peace to save and to sustain you. Romans 15, 13 says it this way, May the God of hope, it says, fill you with joy and peace. What? As you trust You see, the way you get peace is with trust in him. And as you trust him more and more and more, what happens is peace comes flowing in. Matt Chandler sums it up this way. He says, the Christian life is about surrendering our hearts to Jesus in a glad confession saying that we cannot and that we are trusting that he can on our behalf, that we are making a mess of things and trusting instead that he will not and giving our hearts to him and our lives to him and laying it all down at his feet and saying, God, help us. See, some of you are here this morning and you need to do that for the first time. You have spent your whole life looking for someone or something to be the source of peace that you have. And what you find inevitably is that it keeps letting you down, that those wells keep running dry. They endlessly fail you. And the Prince of Peace is the source of peace that you have been looking to. And he's the only way you can find a real lasting sense of peace in the midst of all that is going, on, going around is by trusting and surrendering to him. And I'm just going to be honest, that can feel scary. Surrender always feels scary, but the reality is that fear comes from moving away from God. Peace always comes by moving closer to him. You see, in the gospel is the proclamation that God's come near to us. The Prince of Peace has come near in order that he might drive out the fear that is keeping you from him and keeping you from experiencing real peace in him. You see, and the good news is that the way you get peace and the way that you keep experiencing peace ongoingly is the same thing. It comes by trusting him and setting our hearts and minds on him each day. Jared Mellinger, again, he writes this. One of the greatest challenges we face in life is that we are constantly turning inward. We experience anxiety. We try to escape it. We experience shame and a sense of worthlessness. We attempt to treat the condition by turning inward to examine our self-worth. The reason we are so preoccupied with ourselves is because we are not sufficiently occupied with Jesus. Fear, false guilt, unbelief, and many other daily struggles are weeds that grow in the soil of thinking about ourselves too much and thinking about Christ too little. The more we are captivated by him, the less we will be caught up in ourselves. You see, he's saying that our lack of peace, it comes from the fact that we are looking inward instead of at Jesus. We're looking at ourselves and our circumstances and our situations instead of the king who is sovereign over all of it. Robert Murray McShane, he famously said, for every look at yourself, you must take 10 looks at Jesus. 
See, because the reality is that the way you experience peace both personally and relationally is by setting your eyes on the source of peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 reads this way, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, it's when our eyes and our hearts are set on Jesus that a peace comes. One of the best ways to set your minds on Jesus is not just to think about him, but is to talk with him. That's what Philippians chapter 4 tells us in verse 6 and 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, he says, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says the way that you keep experiencing peace is by setting your mind on Jesus. And the way you do that is by talking with him. It's by the things that overwhelm you, by bringing them, to the, bringing them to him, casting our anxieties and our fears on him, knowing that he cares for us. You see, you can be honest with God about what's going on in your heart and in your mind. He can handle it. He's not going to be irritated with your weakness or your questions or your cries for help. Jesus knows you need him. That's why he came. He wants to carry your burdens if you will lay them down at his feet. As we talk with him, ask him to remind you what is true about him, what is true about you. In John 14, 26, the verse right before our passage this morning, Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit will remind them of all that he has taught them. The Spirit loves to remind us about the Prince of Peace who has made peace between us and God. The kind of peace that enables a real internal and relational kind of peace with others. And reminding ourselves about who Jesus is and who we are because of him. That's what we're doing when we take communion every week. We're remembering Jesus' body and blood which were broken and shed for us. So that in remembering that, that what he has done for us, we are reminded of the peace that he has given to us. Communion doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's a chance for you to remember, to be reminded of all that he has done for you so that in remembering the peace that he has given you, you might live at peace with him and with others. And so as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you put your trust in the Prince of Peace, then during our time of communion, take communion as joyful celebration, remembering all he's done. But if not, if Jesus is not yet your prince of peace, if you recognize that you are still at odds with him, I would encourage you, hold off on taking communion. You are welcome here and you are welcome in this community. But instead of receiving communion, receive Jesus and the gospel that he extends. It's the only way to bear the spiritual fruit of peace. As we close, I just want to leave you with the words of this old hymn that I think think sum up our study of peace so well. It says this, Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. But oh, the blood of Jesus, it whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace by thronging duties pressed. But to do the will of Jesus, this is truly rest. Peace, perfect peace with sorrows surging round. While in the arms of Jesus, not but calm is found. Peace, perfect peace, all our future, all unknown, but this our hope, Jesus we know, and he is on the throne.
You see, we can have peace not because we can control everything, but because the gospel proves to us that the one who is in control loves us. So let's trust him and dwell on him and set our hearts on him so that we might be a people in which the gospel produces an otherworldly kind of peace for our good and joy and for the good of those who need that peace desperately. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace who has come to give us peace. We love you. God, give us a kind of peace that can only come from you. Help us to see the counterfeits of peace we look to that are not you. God, cause us to be unsatisfied with them. God, help us to turn to you, the source of peace, not as the means to peace, but as the, as the goal of our peace altogether. God, for our joy, so that we might have peace in you and for your great glory as your peace is made known in the world, we pray. Amen.